we live so often kind of like we used to when we had uh, mules that we that our families, our fathers plowed with. They had the bridles on them and they had blinders on the sides or they had covers over the side and that was to keep their attention away from what was going on to the right or the left of them. And and Americans for for years has, have pretty much just kind of, we've had tunnel vision, we've had our blinders on where we can't see what's going on around us, we only see what's going on in front of us. And so America has, and America is, is a great nation, but we have, uh, we have missed it. Yes, we still have missionaries that are going to foreign countries and praise God for them. Jericho just left to go. And uh, we, we praise God for them. And Sherry and I, we support those missionaries that travel throughout the world and even those that are right here in, in America and right here in Mississippi. But it takes more than just missionaries. It takes you. Because we are all called to be uh, of some heavenly good here on earth as we live here. And so... Uh, what I want you to do, and Sherry and I, uh, of course, we have uh, fell into a new position. Uh, it's still with maps, uh, but we are kind of, I don't know whether you'd call it in a management position, but our portfolio has changed in that we are now over uh, five different districts is what we refer to other states in Mississippi or in in the United States. We are now... Uh, the regional missionaries over uh, Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Southern Missouri. Southern Missouri, or Missouri is split into two districts. And so our goal in, in these areas is to recruit people that would want to do uh, something for the Lord. Now, we're not trying to steal your members, Okay. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done right here in, in Clinton, Mississippi, and the surrounding area. People that are not going to church or, or don't know the Lord. There's just so much in, in other churches around us that need to be uh, have some work done on them. A lot, there's a lot of misconception over uh, about the ministry that we do and being a part of it in that people think that they have to be full-time. That they have to do what we do, uh, stay in the road, doing uh, physical labor all, all the time, but you really don't. You can become a member of the MAPS ministry or become a, uh, or help somewhere else in, in these ministries that we represent, and you can do a week. You can do a weekend. You can do a few days, volunteer your time. You say, well, I don't have a trade. You don't have to have a trade. There's a lot of wonderful 70 and 80-year-old people and 60-something-year-olds that would be more than happy to teach you a little something so that you may even have buy a home one day or you may presently have a home and you've got things that need to be done in it but you don't have the money to pay somebody to do it and you really don't have the know-how to do it. Well, you can learn from those that already know how to do things and and they can teach you and you can be good you can do something in your own home and you can only do it if maybe you have a weekend you can give or you have 
uh, a week that you can give, or you have two weeks that you can give. That's what this ministry is all about. Not about you becoming full-time and doing what we do, but just being a part of it and do what you can do. And I think that's some of the misconception and why we have fallen so far behind in the United States and our missions endeavor in, in America is we think we've just got to be, uh, we've, we've got to be out there doing it every day, all day long. Uh, everybody, uh, so many people think that we've got to be a, a, a pastor or a missionary or, or a teacher or something, but you don't have to be. You can just, you can be a Christian. Just be a Christian and get, get off your backside and be of some heavenly good while you're living here on this earth. How, this is going to seem comical, but I have a question for you. How big is your butt? Sometimes God speaks to us and we say, but I can't. I don't know how. I'm calling you, uh, the Lord says, I uh, uh, want you to change jobs, but I, I can't. But God says, if you'll trust me, I'll help you through it. I went through that. I went through that. Whenever God started nudging me to become a, a missionary, I didn't think there was any way I could do it. I really didn't, whenever, especially whenever they, the missions department revealed to me what my budget would have to be and how much I would have to raise. And I said, but God, I can't. You know what God whispered into my life? He said, but God, I can. And with God, he did. And so we have to put not our faith and trust in what we can do, but in what God can do through us. And how he is w- more than willing to help us. Sherry, would you hand me these, this wad of keys right here? If you have been following us any on Facebook, the others too. I'm hurrying up, honey. She's already looking at her watch. Uh, and you're wondering, what are these keys all about? Well, that key right there goes to the Speed the Light truck that you helped to purchase for us to travel around and do ministry. It pulls our trailer. Or it did pull our fifth wheel until the storm took it out over in Monroe, Louisiana, and totaled it. By, and so uh, we were homeless there for a few weeks, about three, three months. We were homeless for three months, didn't have anything to travel and do our ministry in. But God, we have gone and searched for a new ministry home as far as two hours east of St. Louis, Missouri. All the way down to eastern Tennessee and to all parts of the Gulf South region except Florida. Looking for something that would be in our price range. And you know what? We discovered something. People that's got stuff for sale, I just wish they had what they think they have by the prices they have on them. (laughs) And most of them don't have what they think they have. They have it, but it ain't what they think it is. And so, uh, so we were, Sherry, we had just kind of gotten frustrated and Sherry was looking one day, uh, just this last week and this ad popped up 
She's a member of a lot of, she was a member of a lot of forums. We both have canceled those now. And so what are these keys? That key right there unlocks the door and cranks the motor to the 1999 Newmar 41-foot motorhome that God has blessed us with. And with that motorhome came all the towing equipment that we would need in order to tow the what they call the towed car that, car that came along with it. And so uh, they're both kind of aging, and it's a 99, but it's in great shape. If you see the picture on Facebook or you, or you see it in, on my cell phone, uh, it looks just as good. It, it is immaculately clean. The diesel engine runs so smooth you can hardly hear it run. It's just a wonderful blessing that we feel is straight from God. Uh, and, of course, because of its age, there is a few things. Uh, I don't think there's anything seriously wrong with it or, or the car, either one. Uh, and But we've just got to do a little maintenance before we put it on the road, and we thank God for it. And thank all of you that have been praying along with us for God to bring something our way. It was uh, all of it together was less than uh, $40,000. Whenever everything is said and done, I think we will owe maybe $20,000 uh, because the insurance company treated us real well with our uh, fifth wheel. Not enough to pay for it cash, but, but God. But God. Sherry said that I has told you that I was going to share... Uh, my testimony, and some of you have heard it, and some of you have not. And that's why there's a lot of but eyes in me. And I've had to put replace my but I can't with a whole lot of but God's. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. No matter what you do in life, You may work a secular job, and that is wonderful, that is fine, that is great. You can be a missionary on the job site. No matter what your job policy may be, you don't have to say a word, but the life that you live in front of those employees that you work with will certainly eventually have them asking questions, what makes you such a wonderful person? And they won't be a smart aleck about it. They'll honestly want to know what makes you so different. But God, I came from a Pentecostal lineage of about five generations. Uh, I think my grandchildren will be a sixth generation of Pentecostal uh, denominations that are in our family. And there was, uh, I grew up with five siblings and they were all, actually I didn't grow up with them, I grew up with their children. And uh, I, my oldest sister was 20 years older than me. She was pregnant with her first one when I was born. So I grew up, literally grew up, with my nieces and nephews. My mom and dad was uh, with the Church of God. My grandparents were, the, were, were with the Church of God. My great-grandparents were, were with the Church of God. Uh, then my, my parents, myself, and now my grandchildren. Not with the Church of God, with the assemblies. Thank God. There were some issues that was going on in our, in our home that uh, my family didn't know about. In 
our community and in my family, my, my extended family, there was some sexual perversion that was going on in, in, our, in our area. And I'll be honest with you, in the area from which I'm from, that sexual perversion and immorality still continues to this day. I have nieces, I have a niece that was, uh, she got, she married a young man uh, before she was, by the time she was 16, she was pregnant and she married a young man and he turned out to be a pedophile and accusations were made and her parents uh, paid thousands of dollars to keep him out of prison. And I said, well, you know what? Usually a child doesn't lie about what's going on. I said, you can spend all your money, but if it's true, it's going to happen again. So it wasn't long after that, it happened again. He spent several, a lot of years in Angola prison down in Louisiana. And she, and I don't understand why she did it. She must be a lot stronger than me. I told my parents, I said, whenever you die and you leave this world and you see the Father and you uh, got all this stuff and all these uh, all this money that you want to leave behind, I don't want any of it. I'm never coming back. I won't move back to that area. Uh, so just give them, give the property to somebody else. I don't want it because I'm not coming back. But my niece, who who had experienced all of her heartbreak and all of her heartache in that area, has now moved back to that area. I pray God uses her and that she is not oppressed by the sexual perverted lifestyles and spirits that are in that community because it still goes on rampant pedophilia rampant uh, uh, homosexuality we're talking about a small county probably doesn't have three or four thousand people countywide so it's just running rampant in that area my problems began my sexual abuse began when I was nine years old my mother had a sister who had some mental issues, and uh, it didn't take me long in my, in my young life to realize her mental issues had to do with what her husband was doing. And she knew what he was doing, but she was from a different generation, and she didn't know how to talk about it, so she just kind of dwelled on all of her sorrows, and it affected her mind. She was committed to Whitfield twice, which is a mental hospital. And so, uh, from 9 till the age of 15, I was molested by my uncle and all four of my siblings. My two brothers, my two sisters. At some point or another in my life, and one of my brothers tried something with me while I was working on my mother's house after I become an adult and I happened, we happened to had, had to stay in the same room and I woke up with him trying issues with me as an adult. That's why I know it still runs rampant in the community. And so I, by the time I was 15 years old, I became a very angry young man or boy. I was very angry. My mother seemingly got uh, and I would have been too. She was afraid of me because I was so angry that I would lash out. I knew better than to ever try to hit her because I knew that uh, if I did, my daddy would take me out of this world. 
He was a hard man, but he was a just man. (laughs) And it was his justice. And so at the age of 15... And whenever I one day blew my top with my parent, with my mother, and uh, she, whenever my dad got home and he worked at Natchez, he traveled from Franklin County to Natchez for 35 years, uh, every for five and six days a week to uh, work at Armstrong Tire and Rubber, and he retired from there. Now, after doing that, When he got home, he wasn't up to no jump. He didn't want to hear nothing. So if if usually when he got home and mama told him that I had gone off again, uh, I knew where to meet him, and that was out under the mulberry trees. And he'd reach up and he'd rip a limb off of the mulberry trees, and he didn't whip me till I was done. He whipped me till he was done. Today it would be considered abuse. It may have been. But it didn't bother me. I was still angry. So this one particular day, I had blew my top and at my mother, and and whenever Daddy got home, she told him what was going on, and I was uh, thinking, well, here we go again. And my dad, very calmly, he looked at me and he said, "Son, I'm not going to take you out back." He said, "I'm I'm just tired of doing that. I don't like doing it." He said, and he said, "But here's what you're going to do. Tomorrow morning, five o'clock." Have your clothes in a paper bag. I'm going to give you a ride. Five o'clock the next morning, I was awake before he was. I had my bag packed. I packed it that night before I went to bed. See, my parents didn't know what was going on in my life, and they really didn't understand what made me angry. Shoot, I didn't even know what made me angry. And so uh, at five o'clock the next morning, I got in the car with my father. He drives to Natchez, puts me out on uh, the highway there in Washington, Mississippi, and uh, doesn't wave goodbye, doesn't wish me luck, doesn't speak to me, no tears flowing down his face, no tears flowing down my face. He drove off. I didn't have a car, no such thing as cell phones. I didn't have anywhere to stay. I didn't have any money. But one thing my daddy did teach me was how to work. So before the next day, I had a job working at a full-service gas station. You're from Natchez area. You know, right across the river bridge uh, in Natchez, across the Mississippi River, there used to be a, there was a Gulf station over on the right just after you got off the river bridge. Now I think it's a used car lot. Well, I worked at that Gulf station. I think I saw the Gulf sign still on it. And so just to the... Uh, I worked there 86 hours a week for a dollar an hour. But I was happy. My mother would try to contact me, and I refused to answer the phone. My boss's wife would say, your mama's on the phone. I would just ignore it. Not. I was just so happy to be away, I just didn't want to talk to anybody from there. See, I couldn't hate my daddy. I don't hate him to this day. I loved him. He didn't know what he had done. He had no idea that he had, that he had began a process in me that took years for me to get over. Years. I loved him. 
because he began a process that set me free from my anger. When I married Sherry, I was an angry man, but I had it camouflaged. I had her fooled that I was a great, fine, young Christian guy. But after we got married, my anger began to spill out. And it went, it went on for 13 years. I never hit her. But my, there are some things that hurt worse than being hit with a fist. And it was with my mouth as I would spew profanities out at her. And I would talk so ugly to her that I broke her spirit. And after 13 years, she was, she was almost as ready as I was. But God, if I'm not mistaken, I had a bag packed. And she came in early from work. Where are you going? I said, I'm leaving. You deserve more than me. She said, what's wrong with you? I said, what makes you so angry? What's going on? What has happened? And for the first time in my life, I sat down with her. And I began to tell her just a piece just a little something that happened to me as a child. It took me years to be able to tell her everything. I have men ask me, how can you talk about it? How can you talk about having those kinds of things done to you as a guy? How, how can you talk about it? But after I look back and I see what God has done, how he saved my marriage. She said, I know how to pray for you now. And it took years of her praying for me. I got a phone call one day. I knew that my, my oldest brother, who did the t most terrible things to me, was in bad physical condition. And he... Uh, I got a phone call from my mother and she said, your brother's in the hospital there in Natchez and I had, I mean in Jackson and I had had a dream about my brother. I'd had a dream that in that dream I saw him in hell. And as I looked at him as he was in torment, thrashing and, and screaming and hollering and trying to get some help from the flame that he was in, because in hell he was being burned, but he wasn't being consumed. And as I looked into that picture, I saw someone else with him. And that someone else with him, I recognized him and it was me. And I said, but God, why? Why am I there? Why am I in hell with my brother? He said, because you hate him. And you've always wished that he would be in hell. And because you hate him and you can't and you won't forgive him. You're going to spend eternity right by his side. He said, but I don't want either one of you to go to hell. He said, I'm going to give you a piece of my plan. That if you'll do it. He said, I'll set you both free. 
He said, I will completely set you free. And the plan was that there was going to come a time when he was going to be in a hospital room and I was, go- and he was going to be kind of a captive audience. But I wasn't going to go there and talk to him about Jesus. You know what I was going to have to do? You know what the part of the plan that I played? I was to look down at him in the hospital as he was approaching leaving this world into another world. And if I didn't do what God had told me to do, then the world he was going to, I was going to join him if I didn't obey God. The visiting hours were over. The announcement came over that you could exit through the emergency room. Sherry grabs his wife and begins to pray with her. And my intention was never to destroy their marriage by her finding out what he had done. They already had a shaky marriage and God wanted to heal theirs too. And I looked at him and I said, this is my part. Dale, will you forgive me for hating you? And the moment I asked him to forgive me, yes, he did terrible things to me. But because he didn't know God and I claimed to know God, I had to take the first step. Tears began to flow down his face and tears began to fall down my face. I led him to the Lord that day and the moment I asked him, And we asked Jesus to come into his life. It was like a million pounds was lifted off of my shoulders. And that began my recovery. That's why I have to talk about it. That's why I love people enough to let them know what's going on. That could be going on under their own roofs of their own homes. Do you know that? Child molestation among siblings is at an all-time high in America. It's usually an older sibling against the youngest of the siblings. It's rampant. It wasn't long after I led him to the Lord that day, just a matter of months, that he died. It's frightening. When I think about it and how close I came to letting him spend eternity in hell and me, his next door neighbor. Not ever being able to see my children grow up, never being able to watch my grandchildren grow up because I honestly believe that if I had not Ask him to forgive me that day that my life on this earth was not going to be long. Because there would have been no way I could have been delivered if I had not followed the instructions of God. A few weeks ago, a few months ago, my uncle, his wife had already passed on. This uncle probably is in his middle 90s now. I noticed that uh, his, his daughter was a friend of mine. He only had one child, and she was a friend of mine on Facebook. And 
and I knew uh, she had already been posting that it was approaching his birthday, and uh, and uh, she wanted to, she was wishing him a happy birthday, and so I give her a inbox, and I said, would you share with me uh, his address so I can send him a card? And I just wrote out a little statement on a piece of paper and let him know, Uncle, I forgive you, and Jesus loves you. A few days later, she contacts my wife and says, I'm going to unfriend you because I don't want Melvin to see me all, all the time on Facebook. I don't want to because she's a spitting image of her daddy. When you look at her, you see him. So I had to call, I had to contact her and said, no, it has nothing to do with you. And come to find out after they did some investigation, there was numerous young boys that he had molested. What if? What if I had called him years ago? When did he molest them? I don't have a clue. Was it when he was younger or was it when he was older? What if I had talked to him 20 years ago? Who would have been spared that awful thing happening in their lives? But you know what? I can't dwell on that. All I know is, is I, I told him I forgave him. And if he receives that forgiveness, and if he receives Christ and lets God do in him what God did in me, one day, whenever I get to heaven, I will wrap my arms around him and I will wrap my arms around my brother and I will wrap my arms around my other siblings and we will have a family reunion if there's any such thing in heaven.